Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, June 24, 2019, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 35. We will be reading and commenting on the second paragraph, which begins with, our first example is a friend and ends with, he came into contact with us. Today's readers are Matt M., Nancy H., Craig F., Marie J., and Lisa B. The share ID for yesterday, Sunday, June 23rd, 2019's special edition meeting is 13,068. That's 13068. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members, We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is, that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Matt M. to read the OA 12 steps. Hi, good morning, Rebecca. This is Matt M., compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Here are the 12 steps adopted for Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we were totally ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and came willing to make amends with them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except for to do so or injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive over ears and a privacy principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Madam. I will now ask Nancy H. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning, fellow travelers. This is Nancy H. from Massachusetts, 
a grateful recovered compulsive overreader. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Nancy H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 35. We will be reading and commenting on the second paragraph, which begins with, Our first example is a friend and ends with, He came into contact with us. I will now ask Craig S. to go ahead and read that for us. Good morning. Thank you. Um, This is Craig F. Recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Our first example is a friend we shall call Jim. This man has a charming wife and family. He inherited a lucrative automobile agency. He had a commendable war record. He is a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He is an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see except for a nervous disposition. He did no drinking until he was 35. In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. 
Okay, you know, um, throughout this book, there's uh, stories of uh, uh, alcoholics, and of course, we're being uh, given an opportunity to identify with their disease. But uh, you know, so many of the stories in the back start out with uh, the idea that they had a fairly normal childhood. You know, some of them don't, some of them did. That that uh, you know, here's a guy. He was a uh, he he inherited uh, a, what seems to probably have been a pretty good living, uh, a good business. He had a, a great wife. He had a war record. I mean, this guy seems to have it all, um, you know, and yet uh, he drank. And then you'll read a story where somebody uh, uh, had a, an abysmal childhood or may, maybe they were abused and 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 they drank and and i guess that what the the message is is the message that's in the oa preamble and that is that uh, you know we've come to believe that the causes of this disease are not important what deserves the attention of the still suffering compulsive overeater is this there's a proven and workable method by which they may arrest this illness somebody's unmuted by the way and and so uh, and make a noise. Um, so here we, here we have this guy, um, you know, it's not, uh, you can't see uh, on the surface of it why he he drank, but the, but the answer is, the, when you look at all these stories in common, he, he, he started to, he, he drank because he's an alcoholic. He, he went, once he took, picked up the first drink, uh, he, he was, it set off a, uh, an allergy that caused him to do things that, uh, <clears throat> were insane. He, he became invi- this guy became violent and, you know, it's the same with us, you know, uh, did we lose Craig? Craig, star one to unmute. Yeah, I think the line got muted. Um, yeah, yeah, we lost you there for a second. All right, I don't know what how much you lost, missed, but uh, oh, anyway. A couple of seconds, sorry. Uh, okay, so it doesn't really matter, you know, if you're like me, uh, you know, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't show the effects of the disease at an early age, and you know, I was older, even though I can look back and see that the roots were there, that some of the behavior was there, some of the thought process. It doesn't matter if you're like that or it doesn't matter if you're, you know, somebody that was overweight as a, as a baby and continued to grow or that you began purging at 10. Uh, you know, uh, we, all have a, we all have a common solution because we still have a common disease. And, uh, you know, the... It doesn't really matter how it manifested, when it manifested, or where it came from today. What matters today is that we have a way out. And, uh, you know, he came in contact with us, and that's hinting at the way out. And and the way out, of course, is to uh, work the steps uh, as uh, thoroughly as we can, as quickly as we can, to get a spiritual experience. And a spiritual awakening, so that we uh, have the uh, have God's 
grace, God's hand, God's power in our life so we can uh, recover from this uh, this debilitating disease. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Craig F. I apologize. I think I'm the one who was unmuted, and that's why I couldn't hear that somebody was making noise. Um, thanks for your share and your reading. If you haven't shared on this meeting in the past couple of days and would like to share on the second paragraph on page 35 in the big book, please press star 1 to unmute and state your first name and last initial. Katie G. from Boston. Okay, wait one second. I heard two people, Harlan G. and Katie G. Okay, I got both of you written down. Jackie B. Ginger C. Ginger C. And who was the other person? Kiara. Kiara, and your last v. initial? A v. V, as in Victor? Right, thank you. Got it, Kiara V. Was there someone else? Donna G. Donna G. Lane C. Lane C. Okay, I think I have enough Chris to get us G. started. Okay, I'll add to Chris G. Okay, um, and we'll stop there. Harlan G, Katie G, Jackie B, Ginger C, Kiara V, Donna G, Lane C, and Chris G. Harlan G, please go ahead. Thank you very much, Rebecca. I'm Harlan G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the story of Ralph Furlong. And Ralph Furlong wrote a story in the first edition big book called Another Prodigal Son. Another Prodigal Story, sorry, <laughs> Another Prodigal Story. And uh, you can, there's a book uh, that you can get all the stories that are omitted and you can look them up. But that, that's not important. Let's take a look at what we have in this paragraph because it's vital to our understanding. There are so many people, including me, who come into Overeaters Anonymous, and we want to figure out why we eat the way we do. And many of us spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on therapy, and we spend money on all kinds of things to try to figure out why we're doing what we're doing. And maybe if we could figure out why, then we could stop. And here is the why, as Craig alluded to. It, we are because we are. One of my favorite titles of a story in the back of the big book is Because I'm an Alcoholic. Some of us come from Yale. Some of us come from jail. Some of us come from Park Avenue. Some of us come from a park bench. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happened in my family. It doesn't matter what didn't happen in my family. Let's take a look at Jim. He's a charming wife and family. He inherited a lucrative automobile agency, commendable World War record. He's a good salesman. Everybody likes him. Yet he ended up in an asylum because of his drinking. Think about that. An asylum. He was under lock and key. He was under lock and key because of his drinking, and he's going to lose everything. This is not a chapter that has stories in it of people who were drunk and couldn't get sober. This is a chapter of people who were sober and made decisions, the thinking that precedes the first drink, made decisions to pick up liquor in the face of every consequence that had hit them. 
I have had horrific consequences from my eating. And yet, if I stop working the steps, if I stop working the steps, I will go back to compulsive overeating, no matter what the food has done to me, no matter what degradation, no matter what unhappiness has befallen me because I am biologically predisposed to eat myself to death. That's who I am. And it doesn't matter why. It matters what am I going to do about it now. Why won't get me to first base? Jim is going to be told of what they knew of alcoholism. That means they're going to tell him of the allergy of the body. They're going to tell him of the twist of the mind. He's going to make a beginning tomorrow, which means he's going to work step three. And they're going to tell him the answer they had found, which was step two. He's going to do step three, yet he's going to go back to drinking again because he didn't expand and enlarge and perfect his spiritual life through service and self-sacrifice for others. And that's the key. And with that, I will pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Harlan G. KDG. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. KDG recovered in Boston. I definitely would have copped a resentment at Jim um, (laughs) because he had a charming wife. He was able, intelligent, and then people liked him. Like, I spent my whole life thinking if you just liked me, if I was just normal, if I had what you had, I wouldn't feel the way I feel. And because I feel the way I feel, then I have to eat. I have to starve. I have to purge. If you had my parents, if you had... All of the excuses, and the truth is, as our first two speakers have said, those things are just things, and they are separate from the fact that I binge, I starve, I purge, because I am a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. You know, and what I was thinking today is, as a recovered woman today, what excuses do I look for as a recovered woman to say, oh, well, life is not going my way. And I hate to be um, a bubble burster, but those of us on the line who are blessed to be recovered, and I have been recovered only since October of 2020, Uh, 2015 but I am blessed being a recovered woman I don't want to give you a delusion that being recovered gives you a superhero cape that makes life not happen if you want to know what life is happening give me a call I'll share and any of us would but the amazing thing is when I stop thinking that life can put food in my mouth Right, I have this amazing power to go through the steps with God. I I get a relationship with God, and I have a resource to get me out of bed, even in the darkest times. And that food and starving and binging and purging is no longer my solution. And the lies, if I had what you had, I wouldn't feel the way I feel. The truth is that no human power can relieve me ever as a recovered woman, as a not recovered woman, no human power can fill me up in the way that I need to, um, the way God can, right? And so 
That is the freedom. Life is life. Life is going to be ugly and beautiful. And what being recovered does is it gives me a superhero cape in that I get to sit down in OA. I get to take a seat with all of you. I get to refrain from the addictive foods, ingredients, and behaviors that have controlled me. And then I get to show up and realize that the main problem in each, every moment, if I'm having an issue, it's in my mind. As one of our teachers says, the most the the biggest barrier to a contented life for me today is in my mind. So I am so grateful to have a seat with one all of you and to have these steps which I must continue to do no matter what my circumstances. And I get freedom. What a gift for these twenty four hours and with that I pass. Thank you, Katie G. Jackie B. Jackie B, star one. Hi, it's Jackie B from the Bronx. Can I be heard? Yes. Good morning, Jackie B. Good morning. Thank you, everyone, for your service and all the wonderful shares. Um, I am so grateful today to be able to give my experience, strength, and hope today. Um, Because you know what? I was Jackie B from the Bronx, who was the biggest martyr on God's green earth. You know, I was a victim of everybody. I was the um, one that God decided I was going to have the most miserable life in God's green earth and the whole nine yards. Today, I am Jackie B, who is accepting today, accepting that I have to work this program every single day of my life um, and that I'm a compulsive overeater no matter what. It does not matter where, when, um, it doesn't matter what holiday. It does not mean uh, I go on vacation. Um, it means that I take my compulsive overeating with me. The only thing that arrests it on a day-to-day basis, 24 hours, is working this program and working the steps. And it's reaching out to others. Don't ever think that, um, that I could do this alone. I do this with my higher power. I do this with uh, working the steps, being a sponsor, uh, calling to other people and saying, hey, I don't know what I should do. What should I do? How should I do it? And they don't tell me what to do. They tell me, how does your program work in this situation? Um, Life is not perfect. But today I understand that. Today I understand that I can't compare and despair with other people. What I have to do is look at my side of the street and not try to change, manipulate, or teach anyone else how to be uh, so that I can be comfortable in my skin. Food does not rule me today because I work the program. Um, And I'm amazed by that. Being, you know, an ex-martyr, you know, I can't believe that today. Today I choose to be a power of example. Um, The people around me may have insanity. doesn't matter. I know that I arrest this disease one day at a time by working this program, by following my food plan, and by being of service. I can't always get to this meeting when it's active, but you know what? I'm still here. Jackie B. from the Bronx is still strong, almost three years of abstinence, and I'm here. And I work this program daily. 
and I reach out daily. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Jackie B. Ginger C. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you so much for your service this morning. This is Ginger C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And I just love this last sentence. I think it's one of the most important in this paragraph. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. What a miracle. He's leaving the asylum, not the spa. He's down and out. And he's coming into contact with us. And what are we doing with this opportunity and this most incredible moment? And I just recently heard an AA speaker. There was a room filled with about 300 people. And he said, how many of you came to AA and loved it and couldn't wait to get back? And that was my experience. I found home. I found people that I finally connected with in a way that I never had before. But when he asked us to raise our hands, this room of 300 people, only a few of us felt that. And then I heard people snicking around. I sure didn't like this place. So this sentence is so vital, what we're doing with that newcomer that's so lucky that they even got through the door. What message are we bringing to them? What are we doing with them? And we need to outline this program of action. We need to explain how we made a self-appraisal, how we straightened out our path, and now how we're endeavoring to help them. And we get them going if they're willing and they're ready. First and foremost, they have to say goodbye to the food, but then they have this practical program of action, which will produce an entire psychic change, which will hopefully allow them to take their last breath recovered. No longer seeing food as the solution and the way out. But again, what are we doing with those precious moments? And it was such an awakening to me because so many people, especially in my other room, they say, oh, meeting makers make it. Really? This is a really precious moment and an opportunity because, again, he's leaving the asylum. He's not happy, joyous, and free. He's probably going to be more approachable and wanting to hear what we have to share, that, yeah, this is what it was like, and this is what happened, and this is what I'm like today. This is my experience from simply doing this action program and each and every day. I love what somebody said. I don't care what's going on. There are no excuses. I have to be willing to go to any length every day. My disease never takes a day off, and to me it works overtime. And I just pray I never stop. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Ginger C. If you're getting on the line or got on the line after we started, I'll let you just know we're on the second paragraph on page 35. Our first example is a friend, Kiara V. Hi, this is Kiara, Recovered Compulsive Eater in Oxford, UK. This is going to be a very brief share. I'm with my baby. Um... Again, just to echo what has been shared before, to me, this paragraph is all about that it doesn't matter um, where I'm from, what my story is, and why I think I started picking up the food and seeing it as my solution to my emotional problems. Um, I spent so much energy and money trying to figure it out so I could control it 
And it is only through working the steps, finding a way, reading this book and following the actions as directed, as outlined very simply in this book um, that I found relief. And um, again, that doesn't mean that, you know, life is what it is, just like it says on page 15 in the big book, Bill W. continued to be plagued by all sorts of things. Life is what it is. Um, but the point is that that I cannot get caught up in the story. Um, I, te- I always call them the lies in my step 10, the lies I start believing. That is really part of the problem. Um, so yeah, I leave it there. Immensely grateful for all your service, everyone on the line, and for making my recovery possible. Thank you. Thank you, Kiara V. Donna G. Hi, this is Donna G. I'm grateful to be recovering in um, Pennsylvania, and. Um, Love this reading this morning because I thought about um, before I recognized that I had a very, very serious problem um, and how I just basically said, you know, I, I don't, I need to, I need to have more discipline. I need to have more um, willpower. I need, you know, um, I just need to discipline myself more and um, would really try to whip myself into shape, uh, literally and uh, figuratively. But um, and then something dawned on me. Um, no matter what there were, no matter what some people did, um, and these were people who had a lot of money, not like me. See, I couldn't, I couldn't afford all these tools or to go away and be treated. So, but wait a minute. Even people who did this, some of them. They couldn't recover. Even people who were in the public eye, who, um, you know, were famous people who struggled with their weight their whole life, you know, they could they could hire whoever they wanted. They could hire people to get them whipped into shape. That they could hire athletic trainers. They could hire chefs. They could hire people if they wanted to to watch them every second of the day and make sure they didn't eat if they wanted to. Security. Um, <laughs> But they still, there were some I would see in the public eye who would still go up and down really battle with their weight. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. So there's some kind of a problem here. There's a very serious problem. And this reading just reminds me of that, that, you know, it's not about how much money we have. It's not about how many tools we have. Um, what we need, because we're compul- some of us are compulsive overeaters, what we need are the 12 steps. And that's really the only tool, and it's free. <laughs> Um, that is needed, and um, beginning with a surrender um, is what I needed to do. And so, I just like I just I just wanted to share that that this reading kind of reminded me of the the times I used to think about um, and envy people who had money, and then realized, wait a minute, that did, that didn't help some people who really struggled. So there must be a bigger problem. I hope that made sense. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Donna G. Lane C. Lane C. Good morning. Good morning. This is Lane C. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for your service this morning, Lane C., a a compulsive reader. 
uh, in Chicago, Illinois today. Um, I, uh, so I was looking at this, at this beginning to Jim's story, and I hadn't really seen it this way uh, before, but what I see here is a good image um, but Jim, you know, he has a lucrative automobile industry, a commendable world war record, he's a good salesman, everybody likes him. Um, and for me, I definitely came into this uh, program and have uh, certainly engaged in a lot of people pleasing behavior and just hanging on to that good image. And I think about, you know, this, this chapter being one that's helping us um, uh, see times when we have been uh, completely absent and still chosen the food, um, thinking about ways that my uh, people-pleasing behavior certainly played a role in that, ways that I would think to myself, well, you know, I have a, I have a good image, or, um, or I would sometimes use my good image as a way to be manipulative. Um, I can remember early on in this program uh, having um, a sponsor I was working with and not being honest with her and really not being honest with her because I was so concerned about what she thought about me um, that that totally took over my recovery and took away the focus from, you know, from uh, the steps and from abstaining from the food and from, you know, reaching out to people. I, I just was so overly invested in what she thought about me. Um, and uh, and certainly, I think there was a deep fear there for me, always this fear of like, were people going to see me for who I really was? Um, was somebody going to see me for who I really was? And I think that certainly can contribute to, um, you know, what this paragraph names is this, this baseline nervous disposition, this fear that can really run our lives. It's the undercurrent under so many things. I think even now today, you know, when I'm working 10 steps, so often everything comes down to the fears that I hold, um, fears of abandonment, fears of rejection, fears of um, uh, you know, being seen for who I am, fears of other people judging me. I mean, there's so many fears. Um, and, and for me too, I would say, you know, in a few years, um, my disease progressed really rapidly. Um, and I think I used some of my people-pleasing behaviors to kind of obscure people's view from what was actually going on with me, or maybe to even invite people to, to manipulate people to not talk to me about my eating behaviors or ways that I was rapidly gaining weight or um, whatever ways I was showing the signs of the disease. If I was too nice, people wouldn't talk to me about this piece because um, they would like me um, aside from the disease or not see the ways that the disease was affecting uh, my life and not seeing the ways that the disease was affecting my thoughts, especially my judgments about others. Um, so, yeah, so thank you so much for listening to me this morning. Thank you so much for everybody who shared this far and for everybody who will share and for folks who are here on the line making this meeting possible. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lane C. Chris G. Good morning, everybody. This is Chris G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Connecticut. Very grateful. And Yes, um, I did my best to create that image too. You know, I was a teacher. I was a, ther- I'm a therapist. I'm an interfaith minister, for Pete's sake. And the why, the why I behaved the way I did with food, and all of my, and all of my thinking, my obsessive thinking, is because I'm selfish and self-centered. My disease causes me to be selfish and self-centered. And that doesn't mean that that was obvious. (laughs) That was undercover. And it showed up in so many ways that others have mentioned this morning 
like the martyr, like the victim. I would say, why, why can't the world be the way it should be? You know, I was so attached to my ideals and could not accept people, places, and things. And it was so eye-opening to wake up, to be awakened to my selfishness and my self-centeredness. I would have been the last person I thought I was selfish and self-centered. I just wanted the world to be okay. I just wanted my family to be okay and my friends to be okay and my clients to be okay. Because I wanted to be okay. I wanted everything to be my way. If it wasn't my way, if it didn't match all of my rigid thinking, all my rigid thinking and my ideals, then the world wasn't okay. It was not acceptable. So therefore, people were not acceptable. And of course, at the very center of that, I was not acceptable. So now, because I'm awakened to my selfishness and my self-centeredness, I can see how I used food and many other behaviors and substances to medicate that pain of non-acceptance. And, um, and, you know, so eventually I was just like the walking dead. I never made it to an asylum, although I certainly wished I did at many times. I just wanted to go live in a cave somewhere away from all the people, places, and things that I could not accept in this, in this world. Now, my higher power teaches me to focus on the gratitude and the beauty, and my higher power teaches me humility to just bow down to what is before me. Um, all of the blessings, all of the amazing people, places, and things in my life now, I can focus on that from, from a new mind because I'm recovered today and only for today because this disease, I, I woke up this morning and I could feel, I could feel it there, there it was, ready to take action if I didn't take action. And I did take action and I, and I turned my will over to God today and I know what I have to do today is work these steps and to connect with you and to hear this message from all of you. And I'm just so grateful for that. And I, I pray that, you know, we can all have this one day. But I also accept that the way I got here was through many, many cycles of insanity in my own way. And, um, and I'm grateful for everyone. But I'm so glad that for today I'm done. And I get to just focus my mind toward my higher power and be led with acceptance and humility. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Chris G. Okay, we have room for four, probably four more shares on the second paragraph on 35. Hi, Charles H. Anita L. I heard Charles H. And I heard Anita L. Linda D. I heard Linda D. And who else? Janice PM, did you hear me? Okay, I I didn't, Janice, but I don't think we're going to have time. I'm writing down Chuck K's name. So I've got Charles H. Anita L. Hey, not to try to do do your job, but Janice was right after me. I was right on it. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, my buddy. Janice. And there was another name, too, that, that came in at the same time as Chuck. So Janice PM, I'll put you down after Chuck K. And um, let's, let's just go with Russ Ann B. Okay, so I'm going to change it to two minutes each, and we'll see if we can get you all in. Charles K, go, go H, go right ahead. 
Thank you very much for your beautiful service. And uh, Charles H., I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I want to drill down on asylum. I, I don't want to ever forget the asylum. Because um, if, if I'm in your head, I'm out of my mind. And uh, I, I just want to be helpful. And, and I just want to be there for others. That is, the, that is the, 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 the spiritual principle of this book that has been trying to teach me. I mean, even in the back of the book, the stories, they, they, you know, they, they tell about their experience, strength, and hope. Like, like we're hearing about these four characters in, in, in Chapter 3, um, you know, and, and they're saying before the end of the story, they're telling you that the only way you can keep this is by self-sacrificing for others. And, and that's really what I want uh, – that's all I want to say because – it's just so important. I can't just get mine. You know, those four character defects um, on page 84, that word continue. I don't know what, you know, I, I call myself an intelligent person, but I don't continue, right? I don't continue. And that's just humility. So I've been doing 10 steps like crazy. I want to leave some time on the clock for these beautiful speakers and Part of sharing is sharing time, and and that's carrying a message, and that's working with others, and that's helping others. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Charles H. Anita L. Good morning. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. I thought Janice was going to go next. Sorry about that. I just wanted to share today because I have just felt so humbled by the sharing this morning. Um, You know, I say that I listen to this meeting. I say to myself that I listen to this meeting every day because it's like my vitamin pill. However, this morning I heard, um, especially right from the beginning, the the first speaker, the importance of listening to this meeting because I heard the recovery and I heard that I am a compulsive overeater and I heard the severity of the illness. You know, I'm living in a recovered state of mind right now. Thank you, God. And, you know, that could go away in a flash of a second if I don't stay close to my higher power then it could all be for naught because I could take that first bite and then I'm doomed because I've done it so many times. And um, I'm grateful for today that I'm not taking it for granted. And yesterday's meeting, the speaker shared that, you know, when she says her prayers, if if they become rote, she goes back and, and thinks about every word and re-says the prayer. And I do the same thing. I would catch myself sometimes saying the prayers just because I know them. Uh, You know, I say them every day for how many X amount of years. However, if I just say them and not feel them, then I could go right back to where I was. And I don't want to do that again. I can't take my disease for granted anymore. And just one last thing. My dad put me on a diet and weighed me every day when I was in elementary school. And he said, if you lose X amount of pounds, I'll buy you a stereo because music was so important to me. 
and I was a compulsive overeater. I couldn't lose the weight. And um, one day he said to me, uh, before he died, because I was living in the recovery, he said, what is it that you're doing? What diet are you on? I said, Dad, I'm not on a diet. I'm a compulsive overeater. I go to Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm living in the recovery thanks to the grace of my higher power one day at a time. That is it. That is my way out. And thank you, God, for letting me know that for today. And I pass. Thanks, Anita L. Guess what? I miscalculated, and you each do have three minutes. (laughs) Linda D., go right ahead. Good morning. It's Linda D. from Connecticut. So astounded to be recovered five and a half years recently. Um, hmm. A nervous disposition. That's the reason I'm here, and that's a nice way to say really, really wired. And I know that um, how important, as was just said, how important it is to stay close to you all and even more important to those steps and God. Um, when I woke up this morning, I'm not usually here right now because I have a job, and the job disappeared uh, about 20 minutes ago. And I hit panic, really panic, because I have a lot of obligations, as we all do. And then I turned to God, and I've been turning and turning and turning. And I think that's the most wonderful thing. It's wonderful not to be haunted by food today. It's even better not to have to do it alone, but it's the best to be guided through life because someone said, well, life is life. Life is life, and that's why I didn't know how to live, and now I'm learning challenge by challenge by walking through it with you all under the guidance of my higher power. That's a spirit-guided life. It's a love-guided life. It's not a fear-guided life. So I'll feel the fear and do it anyway to copy (laughs) somebody's book title. But anyway, this really, really works. I do have the joy of living. And if you saw where I came from, you would have written me off years ago. And here I am, 75 and a little hottie moving along. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Linda D. Chuck K. This is this is Chuck K. from Georgia, recovered for today. I'm so thankful for this meeting. I was just thinking this is now my sixth month, and I've missed maybe a couple of days because something has come up. And this meeting means a lot to me. The shares mean a lot to me. Going to today's reading, it made me think about how important humility and acceptance is, and really the acceptance that comes when I am humble, because I can identify with the story. They're very, uh, there's a lot of points in it that are similar to me. The asylum was myself opposed to the asylum by eating too much and the body that I created, and I couldn't do a lot of stuff that I wanted to do. I placed the own, my own lock and key on myself. But then... You know, and as we're going to go through this next chap, the rest of this chapter, I'm thinking of how important it is that I am humble enough to say that, God, I really don't need to be doing your job. And that's been a big problem that I've had. 
I try to do God's job and not my job. My job is to work the steps. Uh, my job is to learn more about God, become closer to God, and then sacrifice my time both with people in program and people around my um, you know, my home and my work everywhere else. I have to be a service to all of these people. And um, when I become humble like that, I can accept life on life's terms. And that's so key to me. That means, Chuck, you're not running the show. Chuck, you're doing what you're asked to do. You're, you're doing what your uh, higher power is asking you to do, and you're stepping away. Because life occurs with me. I have four kids. I have a beautiful wife. Stuff happens all the time, and I can't get wrapped up in it. I have to accept everything and everyone as they are, including myself. And I, I was talking to a uh, friend yesterday, and i tell you, I was having a good day yesterday, and this re uh, outreach call just, I mean, it was like high-octane gas to my day. It just made it that much better. I had given service to a friend. I was spending time with my kids. And a friend called, and we talked for about 20 minutes. It was a wonderful thing. And I was able to accept those blessings. And and, um, and I think that that's, that's a big part of it. I have to be humble enough to say, Chuck, get out of your way. Let God in, and you're going to have a great day. And just do that every single day. And when bad stuff comes, do the same thing. Don't let any excuses get in the way of that humbling asking for God's direction, getting to know God, um, building that relationship, and just accepting things as they are, even myself, even all of my warts and everything else. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Chuck K, for sharing. Janice P.M. <laughs> pardon me. Thank you so much, Rebecca F., and thank you to all my friends. Yes, where can you go at 7 o'clock in the morning and have real, real friends? Well, anyway, my name is Janice P.M., and I am a grateful today recovered compulsive overeater. And I, I say grateful because, you know, um, I had a, a great husband of 54 years. You know, my family had their problems, but I was never grateful. There was all, I was always blaming them. <laughs> now, see, I'm going to be talking about myself, of course, and I can see how I identify so much with Jim, always blaming them. I was never satisfied, not only with the food, it was the wrong thing that I ordered, or it wasn't enough, or it was too this or that. Um, and that's my underlying illness and the state of mind. This is the whole crux here because it says here, what was he thinking the paragraph before? Well, this is how I used to think. I mean, um, yeah, did people like me? Yeah, some people did and some people didn't. But, you know, um, uh, that's okay. But I wanted everybody to like me because I was a people pleaser. You know, I was a functioning compulsive overeater, but, you know, I did have a nervous disposition. My mother used to say, oh, Janice, you're so nervous. And I'd say, no, I'm not nervous. You are. She was an alcoholic. And, of course, um, was I restless? Was I always discontented? <laughs> you bet. You bet. And he talks about his age. It doesn't matter if you, you start eating at 8 like I did or 80. 
the disease is the disease and doesn't know how old I am and how long I've been eating. But I want to talk about the violent behaviors. How could a compulsive overeater display any violent behaviors? I thought just alcoholics did that and drug addicts. Well, I can remember a Christmas when I was holding. I didn't know it at the time. Um, but when I got recovered through the 12 steps, I was holding some deep resentments. My husband never picked, um, never could put up a tree, a Christmas tree. It wasn't his thing. He pulled teeth, but he couldn't put up a Christmas tree. And I was always in self-pity. You know, I have to do this, I have to do that. Well, I was so angry. I was eating at the time. I was so angry. I said, you know, I'll show everybody. And I took down the tree, and I said, you can go over your sisters. I mean, violent. That's crazy. <laughs> that was my thinking. I'll show them. And, of course, you know, he I, that Christmas, uh, because he didn't get me a card either. So that was a big thing. I mean, you know, I would never, I mean, then he used to get me a card, and I'd say, you don't have to get me a card. They don't, you know, it was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They didn't know what to do. Neurotic. I made them neurotic. So it's the body, it's the mind, it's the emotions that are hidden, in that go come from the mind that allow me, and uh, boy, was this me. It doesn't matter. I have this illness, and this is what we find about ourselves as we do the steps. And thank you so much, Rebecca, and everyone. Bye now. Thank you so much, Janice TM. Russ Ann B., you'll be our last share. Good morning, Russ dear Ann. fellows. Yep, here I am, Russ Ann B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater near Detroit, Michigan. Good morning, everyone. I'm so grateful to be with you. Uh, I know Jim's story well. And I relate to it in a couple of different ways. One is that um, Jim is described as a normal person. And there are people in my life who think I'm a normal person and who, (laughs) certainly in the beginning, but there are a couple of them even today after being in this program for 16 years, who still think that I can eat like um, a regular person, who still think I can eat in moderation. And that's okay. I know the truth, and I know that I have an allergy of the body, and I need to completely abstain from my allergic foods and the behaviors that would lead me back into this disease. I also relate to Jim because I have a nervous disposition. Now, I can show you in my family tree where anxiety and nervous breakdowns are on both sides of my family. So there might be some genetic predisposition there, there may be some things from my childhood environment that taught me that kind of behavior, but I have a solution today, and I know that my nervous disposition, my ability to get worked up, comes from my feeling that I need to run the show, that it's on my shoulders to make decisions. It's on my shoulders to, knew, to know the right thing to do. And that's just not true. That's false thinking. I can't do it on my own. My thinking is flawed. I need to rely on my higher power moment by moment and day by day. My thinking got me into this mess. And it's only complete reliance on a power greater than myself that can give me the calm and the serenity 
that I can live a life being joyous and free and be of maximum service to God and to my fellows. I'm so grateful for this program. I am so grateful that I have these instructions for living. I'm experiencing a tremendous loss um, right now in my life, and I'm fine. I have feelings, but I'm fine. And it's because I am close to my higher power and I am close to you, my fellows. And for all that and so much more, I am eternally grateful. Have a blessed day. I pass. Thank you, Roseanne B. Thank you, everyone, for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The share ID number for this meeting, Monday, June 24th, 2019, 7 a.m. Eastern Time is 13,071. That's 13071. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Marie J. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Marie J. star one to unmute. Can you hear me, Rebecca? Now I do, Marie. Oh, great. Thanks. I was reading away. Uh, This is Marie J., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. He will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.